Again, we're sharing something from the work. First of all, I want to thank God for the privilege to be together. recognize my voice to be as quiet as it actually is to others, so when I speak, it's difficult. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, yeah, I want to thank God for the privilege to be together and encourage one another uh, in this life that we've been called to in Christ. <clears throat> Uh, this song that I asked to sing, Be Not Dismayed, Whatever Because God Will Take Care of You, is a song that in the last days kept coming to me when I wake up. And uh, there's, a, there's a purpose for God to bring things like that to us. Mm -hmm. uh, because um, we don't live in a normal time now. It's a kind of a with this coronavirus and the distancing that we're called to have and uh, wearing masks and washing our hands and all these things. Uh, you know, there, it varies from person to person as to how serious that really is, you know. So, but the thing of it is, God has made it so that we all can come together here. He took care of us. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I thought of um, uh, a scripture in Timothy, something that um, I think is a good exhortation. I take it for myself. Whether we, ha whether we have freedom to meet each other, meet with each other every week or every, twice a week or whatever, or whether we don't, this is a good exhortation. Uh, um, chapter 4 of 1 Timothy and um, verse 13. Um, Till I come... Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So, uh, the doctrine, or you could say Christ's teachings, um, to take heed to that. Uh, meditate on it. Continue in it. Um, you know, when 
Now, now I think back, it's, Katie and I made a beginning seeking God. That's a little over 50 years now. 50 years, just to think about 50 years seems like a long time. Mm -hmm. But we're here now. We finished that part of our life. It's over with that. We're looking for however, however long God has in mind for us to be here. Maybe it'll be a total of 60 years. Who knows? We don't know. But God will take care of us during that time. And it's kind of like we were talking about um, on the way up, uh, you know, about our responsibility, taking, doing the, in other words, trusting God is not neglecting doing our part in taking care of ourselves. We do all the things that we know is good to do and trust God. If we neglect and are sloppy with our life, we can't say, okay, God will, God will look after us. But we have to be obedient. We have to be faithful. And this, this helps us to understand that. Take heed to thyself. Be careful. Because taking heed to myself covers a lot of area. It covers my my actual behavior, but also the motives and intentions of my behavior. Why I do things I do. Why I think how I do about others, and so on. The motives behind what I do. And if we go to Colossians, um, going the wrong way. <laughs> In Colossians chapter 3, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So you could say, well, um, seek those things which are above. That doesn't come to a standstill because of many years of having sought God. In other words, like, I know, I know now how to behave. I know I don't have to uh, be so taken up with this because I have studied it. I know how, to, how my life is supposed to be. No, it seems like every day it's, it's, it's fresh. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have sufficient yesterday to take care of today. I need God today. I need to seek Him today. Uh, and um, the reason is, is because we have 
an enemy who plays with our minds, who works against us, who tries to influence us away from Christ, bringing us into doubt and fear. So, if our life is, and like it says there, when Christ who is our life, that's a question we want to ask ourselves daily. Is Christ really my life? Or do I have something else that's more, more uh, important to me, more uh, occupying my affections and my desires? Christ is to be my life. Whatever I do, I do it in singleness of heart for Christ. That's what we're called to do. <clears throat> so I'm thankful for that. And the purpose of coming together is to encourage that, is to build in each other and ourselves that uh, remembrance of what we're called to and are our, our giving ourselves wholly to that. Because, and I, I was thinking, I'll just tell you, I, some, when, uh, in, uh, in early mornings, I'm not a man who can sleep all night usually. I get up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and uh, I read some things in the Bible. I turn on my phone and I listen to some of the news. And uh, I was listening to a man who was. Uh, who had a book written by a man about, and, and it was good as far as the Constitution of the United States and how that is so much superior than this communistic kind of government type thing, but the freedom that we have, and he, he but there is, in all the, all the good that he brought out of what he understands, about the Constitution and this great country, America, it lacked one thing. He didn't have one thing that was important, the most important thing. And that is what Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We are not called to have, uh, uh, to work toward having the, the most, the perfect, solution to man's life while here on earth because it won't happen that cannot happen mm -hmm. what we are to do is encourage one another to be faithful to the things God gives us to do to be a blessing and a help to one another and to, be, to the needy but have our affections on things above have our mindset on being there with Jesus when he, when my time is over here, it's how I have been with him and my life with him. Uh, it's sometimes a little difficult to say all that, how it, how it should be, because, uh, you know, we are living on the earth. The earth and the things of the earth is what we see with our natural eyes. And uh, we all like to have a nice life. There's not, 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 no question about that. We like to have it nice. 
but it's temporary. It's a temporary thing. So do we want to invest so much energy in the temporary things, or do we want to invest it in that which is eternal? Both are important and should be understood that they combine together with one goal. That are, or is to combine together with one goal. And that is to please the Father and to honor the Lord Jesus for what he's done for us and live for him. Mm -hmm. So I'm thankful uh, to, to have a proper understanding um, to take good care of the things God gives us, but not set our heart on them. When riches increase, do not set your heart on them. That's what it says. Mm -hmm. Because they are not given to us to secure ourselves here. They are given to us to use them properly and to bless others too. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. That's the extent of what I have. Amen. <clears throat> <clears throat> Just a little thought on what Dan was saying is that when somebody says that somebody is your life, pretty much covers everything. <laughs> And not he, God, that Jesus is not meant to be part of our life. He's not supposed to be a part of our life along with this, 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 and this. It says Christ who is our life. It's just, that's it. Yeah. It's, very, it's a very final, all-covering statement that Christ becomes our life. He is our life. And that's why... Uh, the apostle says to uh, to set our mind on things above, because Christ is alive. The things of this world are not our life. So this morning, I like to look in First Peter chapter First uh, Peter chapter one. When Peter refers to us in verse one as pilgrims, and in verse two, he said he. Continues on <clears throat> the words of Peter. First Peter chapter one and verse two. The pilgrims who are elect according to the knowledge foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We were elected by God before those of us who are in Christ were elected to be in Christ from the foundation of the world. God knew ahead of time who would be the elect throughout the ages. And he says, he elected us in sanctification of the Spirit. The word sanctify means to set apart. 
to be holy, to be set apart, to be sanctified. For obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. To be forgiven by the blood of Jesus and to be obedient. Called to obedience. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When we read this passage, there's two things that come out that you read often that both Jesus and the apostles talked about. And it reminds me of in the book of James where it says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Well, how does that connect with this? Because it talks here about two things, obedience but it also talks about kept by the power of God through faith. And it says that we're saved by faith and not through works, lest any man boast against God. And as we read the New Testament, if we're not careful, we can become double-minded. Where one minute we're trusting in the grace of God, we're putting our faith in the power of God to keep us, we're, we're, we're walking by faith, and the next minute, where we, we, if we mess up some way, we begin to condemn ourselves because, oh, we're supposed to be obeying God. And, and then this, this vicious circle begins to happen of double-mindedness, which, of course, leads to confusion. Are we saved by what we're doing, or are we saved by what we believe? So... <clears throat> If we read the New Testament carefully, we find out that we're saved by faith. And this faith creates an effect in our life. It creates a change of heart. That if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And according to that new creation, as he walks in that new creation, he obeys God. As he walks in the Spirit, he bears the fruit of the Spirit. And so, as we read these things, it says we are elect to be separate through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it says for obedience. It is the work of God in our life that changes us. In Second Peter, he says we become partakers of God's nature, the divine nature. That's God's nature. A change. He puts his nature in us. He puts his spirit in us. And when he puts his spirit in us, it's not there just to hang out with us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when he sent it, would have certain purposes in each of our lives. To separate us. To sanctify, separate us. To be holy. From the inside out. <clears throat> Remember when Jesus confronted the Pharisees, he said, on the outside, you're all nice and white and clean, like a whitewashed tombstone. 
all white and clean the outside. He said, on the inside, you're dead. He says, first, there has to be a change on the inside. Otherwise, you have nothing but dead religion. It can't save us. Then we must be first changed on the inside. As Jesus said, we must be born again. We must, be, we must receive the Spirit of God. And then when we receive the Spirit of God, when we're born again, then we have certain things that the Holy Spirit is endeavoring to do in our life. The work of the Holy Spirit. To follow the words of Jesus and the apostles. Because they're inspired by the one and the same Spirit. And so we should take heed, as Dan was reading this morning, take heed to what's written, things that are written. Because they're inspired by the same Spirit that is in us. And the Holy Spirit lives in us with purpose. Jesus said He would teach us. He would be our teacher. Does that mean nobody else can teach us anything? It's just me and the Lord and that's it? The Holy Spirit is in others in the body of Christ. And we are told to, to admonish one another, to teach and warn each other, and to encourage one another, and to edify one another, build each other up. That's what part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to each other in the church. And so it says here we are kept by the power of God through faith. We are preserved in Christ by faith. The Bible says in Galatians, I believe it is, that the, Lord, that the Lord lives in our heart by faith. It's the only way the Lord lives in our heart is by faith. And it says that we're kept by the power of God through faith. We're preserved. God will take care of us through faith. Faith in what? Faith in Him. Faith in His power. Not in ourselves. Not in our own strength and our own abilities and our own natural abilities. No. The sanctification work of the Holy Spirit. The empowering work of the Holy Spirit. The teaching of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth. Guiding us in our life. Giving us wisdom. Interceding to the Father for us. The Holy Spirit is. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us to the Father on our behalf. We are kept by the power of God. As we believe in the power of God in our lives. For us. Little all you and me. A great God is intimately concerned with each one of us. He created the heavens and the earth, and he's master over the universe, and yet he's concerned and knows the number of hairs on our head, Jesus said. He's that intimately concerned with each one of us. So I don't feel that concern, I don't see it. It doesn't make it not true, because the word of God declares it. Just because we don't understand it, we don't see it, we don't, under, we don't understand how that could possibly be. As we get to know God, we get to understand His greatness and His ability to perform everything He says in His Word. So we are kept by the power of God 
through faith in the power of God, through faith in what He has said, faith in His Word that He has said to us. Let's continue on in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be or if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That the testing of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom you have not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If necessary, we can be troubled and distressed by different trials. Who say, well, if it's necessary, says who? And of course, we know it's the Lord. If He allows things through the protective net, and allows certain troubles and trials and challenges in our life, again, He has a purpose for everything. God is not an aimless God. He knows exactly what He's doing. He knows exactly who we are. And He knows exactly what He wants to bring out in our lives. And what He wants to confront us with. And He wants to encourage us with. And how He wants to express His love to us. So I don't see all that stuff. Well, sometimes we're just a little too busy to be on the right wavelength because other things begin to take precedent in our life. Other things are also our life besides Christ. And we have to streamline our life and eliminate things in our life and reestablish priorities in our life as what is important in life. Is Jesus my life? As Dan was saying, a great and challenging question from Colossians 3. Is Jesus my life or just part of it? Is he the main course and then we have other stuff on the plate too? All these things that we have to do, the necessity is we have to do them all to the glory of God. Not for our own will, not for our own glory, not to impress others, not to show other people that we're a great success in life, Nonsense. Our faith will be tested. There is no doubt about it. It's written in stone. And will it last is the question. That it may, as it says here, that it may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the coming of Jesus Christ. Not shipwrecked, not destroyed, like some people's faith have been destroyed. Paul mentions uh, a couple of guys whose faith has suffered shipwreck. Their faith was destroyed. It didn't continue. Jesus said some would believe for a while, for a time. They're believers for a while. But what happens to them? They allow the persecution of being a Christian, the trial of men, the trials that come, the problems that come. They allow it to destroy their life. They don't continue to believe in, fi- 
Because, and if we don't believe, it says we're kept by believing. We're kept by faith in the power of God. We're kept by the power of God through faith. But if our faith is destroyed, then what? So you see what the enemy is trying to get at. Our enemy of our soul knows exactly what to go after. Because if he can go after our faith in, in the power of God, if he can go after our faith in the cross, if he can go after that, and if he can get us to stop believing in the grace of God, in the power of the cross, in the power of God to keep us through all temptations and trials and problems in life, when we stop believing that stuff, then he's got a nice iron cage for us. Then he's got the cage for us. Bondage. It will be tested by fire. Fiery trials. Is how it's referred to in another place. Don't think it's strange, brothers, of the fiery trials that will test you as though something strange has happened to you. We shouldn't think it's strange that we as Christians are going to be tested with fiery trials. Not just trials. When you think of a fiery trial, what do you think of? Uh, persecution. Persecution. What else? Personal, you know, family trials. Mm -hmm. It isn't easy, but it's like when you when when they take metal and they and they make it real hard and tempered when they put it put it through the heat. They put it through the heat and then they drop it in the cold water to temper it. But in all these different examples, the word fiery trials doesn't say we're going through trouble, but fiery trials. And when I think of the word fire, it means it's hot. <laughs> it's something that's, when something is on fire, it's really after you, you know? Fiery trial, very intense. Fire is intense. It's hot and it's intense. And it can be very destructive or it can purify. Our faith will be tested by fire. To see what it's made of. <clears throat> if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be burned up. It's going to be destroyed. But if it's... As we continue in faith in the power of God, it's going to purify us, these trials. It's God's going to do through these trials the intended purposes. Much These testings... The testing of our faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Our lives are going through something very precious, this testing of our faith. As we stand in it, as we put our faith in the power of God, it becomes precious. And we'll stand through any fire that hell and all this world can throw at us. Let's continue in verse 13. 
Therefore, go gird up or sober up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revealing of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy because I am holy. Well, which is it? What do we put our hope in? Our walking in holiness? Or the grace that is to be revealed to us? It says we're supposed to put our hope fully in the grace of God that is to be revealed to us. The grace from the blood of Jesus paid for our sins to make us acceptable in the sight of God and sinless to remove all of our sin for us. That's where we should be putting our hope. But it also says that we should be obedient children. And again, as we put our hope fully in the grace of God, the grace of God, Titus says, teaches us things. That's how we know we're, we're putting our trust in the grace of, a, a real grace of God. In Titus it says the grace of God that brings salvation. Because there was other graces of God being taught at that time. And it says that in the book of Jude that people were turning the grace of God into a license to sin. False grace. So Paul writes to Titus, the grace of God that brings salvation, the real grace of God, teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live a certain way, to live holy, godly, and righteously in this present age, looking to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for the coming of Jesus. This is what the grace of God is teaching us as we put our hope in it. The Holy Spirit teaches us through this grace. It is the grace of God to be taught these things. It is the mercy of God. And the kindness of God that leads us to repent. This is not a personal work. This is not a work of our own strength. We live for God by the grace of God and by the mercy of God. Otherwise, we couldn't live for him at all. And he wouldn't be our life at all. It would just be religion. Whether Christendom religion or the other religions of the world. It's just trying to appease God through the way we behave, through our behavior. Doing nice things to others. Not that there's something wrong with doing nice things to others. But this is not the foundation of salvation. This isn't salvation at all. Salvation is putting your hope fully on the grace of God. That's where our hope should be. Now as we do what's right, in 1 John it says we have assurance before God. We're assurance, we're on the right path, we're doing the right thing, that's right. We can't put our hope in those things. Our hope is on that cross on Calvary. That Jesus died for our sins, that blood that, that cleansed us from all our sins, 
Our hope from beginning of our Christian walk to the end should be on the grace of Jesus, on that cross to which he died. And then it says, Jesus becomes our life. That is not a work of ours, that's a work of God. The sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And so as we read all these things that he tells us to do, in 1 Peter and all throughout the New Testament, through the words of Jesus and the apostles all the way through, there's commands all over, do this, do that, do the other thing, of course. But it is through faith in the power of God. It is a work of God, not our own work. When we believe God, it says we rest from our own works and enter into God's rest. It's not us trying to bring about our own deliverance. No, I was caught up in that as a child, as a young fellow in elementary school. As I was taught about Jesus on the cross, but I was taught the Ten Commandments, and if I would do these things, that God would accept me, and if I didn't do these things, that I would have to burn in a fire for thousands of years until God purged me of my sins. But if I did anything really wrong, like murdered somebody, your goose was cooked. You're done. Mortal sin, that's not forgivable. And there was a certain list of sins that they said led to death and mis- misconstruing the word of God. And I was on that list. Mortal sins. And I thought that there was no hope for me in God. I gave up. The time I was in my late teens, God didn't want, I didn't think God wanted me. So I was taught. And the one thing above everything else that I wasn't connecting with was how did Jesus dying on the cross personally relate to me and my messed up condition? I was completely disconnected from that. For when I was a kid, I thought, oh, I'm a good kid. People would say, hey, you're a good kid. But then as I got into my teenage years, People stopped saying that because it was true. I wasn't too good. And and the older, no, it was true. And the older I got, the worse I got. Until it came to the cross of Jesus. I was just asked that if anybody make a comment or anything, just to remember these words in the scriptures. If any man speak, let him speak as though he were the word of God, the oracles of God. When we speak in in an assembly, we only speak as according to what God has said. Not just an opinion, not just speak something out, or just say something that comes off the top of your head, but only speak as if we are speaking for God. So be very careful in that regard. So it says here that we should put our hope fully on the grace that is given to us. Upon the grace that is to be brought to us. When we stand before God. When Jesus is revealed. And that grace only comes one way. Through faith in Christ. Faith in the power of God. 
The cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. If you don't have faith in the cross of Christ, it says you're perishing. But to us who believe, this is the power of God. Faith in the power of God. The cross. That's where the power of God is to forgive us our sins and to sanctify us and to, and to cause us to walk in a holy life. That's where our faith needs to be put on, not just when we're a new Christian, for the rest of our life, for the rest of our time as we walk with the Lord. Faith in the power of God that is afforded to us through the cross. And he calls us to be holy. <clears throat> when it says to be holy, to be separate, sanctified, sanctification, not to walk in the way of the world. Does it mean not to be out there among them, reaching out to them, and ministering to them, lest we become contaminated? It's not that at all. But not to walk, they walk. Not to have any fellowship with darkness. And darkness is all around us. It's in every form of media. Whether it's radio, TV, internet, phone, computer, you name it. The world is all around us. With, with every avenue of society. Not to have fellowship with it. Separate <coughs> yourself. It says, God is holy. And he's called us to be holy. And if we haven't been living a holy life, if we've been caught up in the world, <clears throat> now is the time to come to the cross, or come back to the cross, and to be delivered from darkness, or the hold of the world, or to be delivered of an unloving spirit, of a judgmental spirit, of selfishness, all kinds of ungodly attitudes that are called works of the flesh, contentiousness, strife, all kinds of works of the flesh. And come back to holiness. Holiness also means all those things and <clears throat> how we interact with each other, how we treat each other, separate ourselves from fleshly responses, from fleshly attitudes, from fleshly mindsets. Separate ourselves. It doesn't just mean separating ourselves from morality, but it, it certainly does mean that. And it's all around us in every shape and form. Every kind of perversion, it's all around us. Let it not be named once among the saints, it says. Verse 17, as we continue. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We read this part often when we take the Lord's Supper. But it is talking about 
understanding what has happened to us and how we were delivered. We were delivered by the blood of the Son of God. Don't take that lightly. That's what he's saying here. We read something similar to that in Hebrews chapter 10, where he talks about sinning willfully. Just going on sinning willfully and knowing it's wrong, but just doing it anyway, and just doing it anyway, and doing it anyway. He said by doing that, he says, we're trampling underfoot the Son of God. And considering that the blood of the covenant is an unholy thing. It's careless, it's reckless, it's foolish, and it's not the Spirit of God's leading. Of course, a Holy Spirit guides us into a holy life, not an unholy life, a life of separation from all forms of darkness. We were not redeemed by gold and silver. Nobody bought us with money. Nobody bought us through animal sacrifice. Jesus bought us with his own blood. And we understand through everything we're reading that God has a high accountability upon this. That we should highly respect this. Highly respect what he's done. Highly respect and honor the blood of Jesus. I understand by what we were bought. It wasn't cheap. It's free. As Paul Yoder used to say, our salvation is free but expensive. Free to us, expensive to God. The blood of his own son. Most good fathers and mothers would die for their children. But yet our father allowed his son, and he watched his son die in, his, in, in the place of all of us. And it's satisfied. It's satisfied the judgment against us for our sins. And through faith, what Jesus, his son, did on the cross, he will accept us. Our substitute, our transubstantiation, our substitute for us, he gave his life in our place. And God was satisfied with that. And we must always remember that. Because, as it says, we are not our own. That we've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in our bodies. This was an expensive thing. And God wants us to remember that. This was not cheap. Salvation is not cheap. Free to us, but not cheap. Expensive, the most expensive. The God of the universe came down and gave his life for us. God the Son. And so... Since that's why, how we were redeemed, it says, be holy. Remember the precious, the precious price, the treasure that was paid for us. To buy us. He bought us, so now he is our life. He bought us, we belong to him, he is our life. Hmm. 
continue on. Verse 21. Who through faith we believe in Him, God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. And since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brothers, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but by incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and remains or abides forever. So with these thoughts, I'm going to close. That it says, we have purified our souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, empowering us to obey the truth, a work of God in our life, with obedience that's either alive or dead. It's a work of the Spirit or it's a work of the flesh, no matter how religious it may seem or how righteous it may seem. If it's not a work of the Spirit, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor and they build it. We purify our souls through obeying the truth. So people say, oh, we're saved through obedience. Through the Spirit. Obeying the truth through the Spirit. If we, through the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh, we'll live. Oh, sure, we have to do what we're told. Of course. But it's through faith. It's through faith in the power of God. Faith is an action word. Just like love is an action word. Faith does that. We respond. We live by faith. Not just a lot of faith talk. We've been born again through the word of God. By the Holy Spirit. Live by faith. Loving one another fervently with a pure heart. Fervently, intensely, with a pure heart. And the pure heart comes from being born again. It's not ourselves. It's not our natural human condition. It's not who we are in the flesh. It's only who we are in the spirit. If you don't know what I mean by that, just walk in the flesh while you can see how loving you can become. But when we walk in the Spirit and follow the leading of the Spirit, we find in ourselves a capacity to love and to be kind and generous and to have a generosity of spirit that we don't naturally have. It becomes supernatural. That we can even love those who hate us and do evil to us. Love our enemies. Do good to others who do evil to us. That's not natural. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Sanctifying, <coughs> cleansing, purifying work of the Holy Spirit. Any brothers want to speak as the oracles of God?